Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. And today we're going to focus on an aspect of leadership, which is really about how to develop talent in the organization and thinking about teams, the fact that uh, if you're a leader, uh, maybe a larger team, maybe a smaller team, maybe in a startup environment, maybe in a more established organization, you're probably going to have multiple generations represented. And of course, that next generation of workers, the Gen Z generation, so important to be investing in the full development of workers that are early in the career for them to contribute more to your organization, to be able to retain them in your organization. Uh, There's just so many benefits. I can't wait to talk more about this and to just frame this up, put some numbers into perspective here. Uh, Last year, there was about 4 million graduates from U.S. universities and If you think about that generation, what do they care about? So as they're coming into the workforce, into your organization, surveys show that 73% of that Gen Z want to be taught one-to-one. 83% want their managers to care about their life. And listen to this, 75% see learning as the key to advancement in their career. So this really matters. And my guest today, Krista Patterson, knows all about this. She's a passionate advocate for mentoring the next generation. I've known Krista for about 20 years, and her energy, just her uh, experience in working in a wide range of different companies in technology is so impressive. Krista is the founder and strategic partner in Positioning Collective. And what she does today is she helps companies find, define, and communicate the most compelling qualities of their brand their products, and their services. Now, Krista has been leading high-performance marketing and communication teams for years, and she's worked in organizations that are small and in very large organizations, including Cisco. She describes her role as eliminating roadblocks to her team's success. And thing I really appreciate about Krista, her focus has always been around clearly defining goals, bringing teams together, aligning around short and long-term objectives. And So former boss says, and I can really relate to this having worked with Krista, she has this rare competence in translating the high-level strategy into execution. So this is all about how to get things done and how to get things done in developing people. She's also been very active as a speaker at conferences and also as a professor and guest lecturer at several universities, including San Jose State University, Cal Berkeley, and San Francisco State. And In summing up her approach to life, it's really simple. She's always assuming positive intentions until proven otherwise. Always assume that everyone is trying their best. It may not be enough, but it's all we have. And this is what I really appreciate. She has a great sense of humor. So I can't wait to jump into this positivity, this humor, and this perspective. Krista, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks, Dan. Super fun to be here. Yeah, and we're going to talk about something really important, which is really giving back and mentoring and developing. But before we get there, 
you have just this very interesting background. You've worked in these large global technology organizations, and then more recently went more the entrepreneurial route. You co-founded your own company. And curious, what drove that shift in direction to becoming more of the entrepreneur and, and driving that that growth of your own company? Sure. Um, you know, there's a couple of reasons. And we look at brand and how we deliver marketing communications really felt like it should be available to the masses. We worked, um, and I say we, I mean, Alex Crawford, my business partner and I, we were, you know, um, we learned a lot working with large agencies at Cisco and really felt like it just didn't need to be that complicated. So that piece of it and our passion for helping the the little guy, so to speak, and yeah. having some time in, a, in an environment, in a corporate environment that wasn't healthy. So those two things together really put me in a space to look at how do we deliver the things we want to deliver in the way we know how to everybody or to more people in the world for less money um, and in a way that I could control the environment. Yeah, it's really figuring out there's this need out there and then and then being able to deliver against that. And you know, it's one thing to, on paper, say, this is a vision, we want to create this and, and really uh, deliver against this need. It's another thing to put that into practice. And I'm curious what that experience has been like, you know, the reality of trying to drive the growth of your own company. Have there been any surprises along the way? You know, there have been. I We did not plan on, I certainly didn't. Um, we always say you need to define your customer. We've always talked about that. You and I have talked about it, you know, certainly as marketeers for tech, who is our customer? What does that look like? But having to say, you know, you're really not our customer. You're not a good fit for us to friends, to people, long time people that we've worked with or, you know, new folks that really wanted to partner with us to develop their brand. There were things within um, within customer organizations that aren't a good map for us. And so I didn't I didn't think that part through, honestly, how that would look <laughs> to to say, you know, this isn't a good fit for us. Um, and that part, I think, was was the most surprising. One of the other things I know we're going to dig into the mentoring piece, but frankly, the talent that we see um, in this Gen Z coming up, and I mean like everything from 17-year-olds to those coming out of college, the talent there um, and the way that they have been able to impact our business was not in the original in the original vision of the business at all. Yeah, yeah, it really is kind of truly a new generation, a new set of expectations. And of course, we're all dealing with a lot of change just in the world, right? right. In terms of going through this yes. pandemic experience. And so I'm curious how the change uh, brought on by the pandemic, just the disruption in the markets, has that changed how you see your clients work, how your own teams have to work? And, and maybe even more importantly, has it changed your perspective on how you need to lead to be effective? Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot to address there in what you just said. You know, we launched the business in May of 2020. So that was always the plan. We didn't know we would be in the first few months of a global pandemic, obviously. Um, for the clients uh, that Alex and I had been working with individually, what was interesting about it is we really felt like going into that time was a great opportunity to develop brand, meaning uh, the relationships, the connections, and not at least initially, be driving for business. 
And what a unique opportunity to just focus on the relationship or the development of your brand and not be focused on business, at least for the first few months. Um, so that was was quite interesting and, and a time, a point in time that we had never experienced. From a you know remote work perspective, it, it actually was good for us in that it kind of opened up who we could work with further, how we worked. Um, the the younger, the Generation Z is very used to you know, operating over technology, they're very used to not actually being face to face. And so certainly in the beginning, I really pushed for video all the time, because I wanted that connection. We learned that that isn't always possible for everyone, and that we had to be a little bit more flexible in that. But it was it has been interesting, like I we don't get the face to face connection that we used to, we have to find other ways to do that. And so both of those things, I think, a, a true business opportunity to focus on on what your brand stood for and what it meant with your customers in that relationship. And then operationally, what that looks like was certainly unique as well. You know, Krista, just to build on that, you know, and thinking about the pandemic, and we hear so much about people have taken this as an opportunity for deeper self-reflection, right? To re- mm-hmm. re-examine truly what's important to them. And I wanted to ask you on a personal level, did you find that you went through that experience and as a leader to say, you know what, I've got to recalibrate a bit here. So we talk about work-life balance, uh, how to how to really promote that as a culture, you know, in your organization. Mm-hmm. Did you find that that has really been something that you had to go back and, and really rethink about a little bit more deeply? I did. Um, both, as you say, for myself and how we apply it to the organization. We, well, let me back up a step. We, I come from a generation, you also, where we went through this interesting transition from you worked at the office, your computer was left there, um, you, you brought your work home maybe in your brain, but there wasn't a whole lot of um, working around the clock. Cisco was a, was a big com- uh, uh, part of allowing work from home. What did that look like? And we went through a phase where it was an addiction. I, I call it an addiction for me, certainly. The the wanting to be in the know, the wanting to be in the fray, the flow of communication, and not wanting to miss out. Gosh, maybe that was the original FOMO. I don't know. It um it it was a time that, you know, we didn't I personally was addicted to that kind of energy. And I think now the the view of it is not just about work-life balance. But it's what do you want your ideal day to look like? And what do you want your life to look like? Not just built around work, but can we and are we able to, and the answer is yes, build work around how we want our life to look. And it is a conversation actually I just had with an intern at Positioning Collective who is struggling about how what job to look for. And I think feeling like they're looking at that quote, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see, but looking at yeah. quote of the, the end of their life, if they have to go to a nine to five job. And my question to her was, well, what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your day to look like? And then let's figure out what jobs might help you get there. And that is a, is a perspective and an approach that we did not take coming out of college, certainly. And I think it's a, it's a really amazing opportunity to shift not just work-life balance, but life period. What is my life going to look like? And how am I going to get to what I want with my life? 
Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like like we do come from a generation where so many people built their own uh, personal identity around who they worked for. You know, what was the logo? Yes. And that's, and I think what we've learned is just that in the in the bigger perspective, that boy, that's a really really dangerous thing uh, to build mm-hmm. your self identity so strongly around that because things do get disrupted, things do change, uh, jobs change, bosses change. You can't control that. You don't want mm-hmm. your sense of confidence or, or, or self identity built around that. You need to have a bigger life view and then take yes. that in context. So you're just really spot on there and. Krista, I also want to explore with you, you know, as a woman that has accomplished so much as a leader in technology, what kind of challenges have you had to overcome? Or are there experiences that you feel have made you even more and impact more effective and impactful now based on having gone through that? I think so. A couple areas, I think. Um, and I'll start with more of an external uh, view. I learned, I think, kind of coming up through the ranks that, you know, the organizations that I worked for, um, business was a hard, I know I'm jumping around here, but business was a hard, you know, companies make choices based on their business, on their bottom line. And um, when I'm feeling especially um, cold, I, I talk to people and I have said this to teams that I work with. In reality, you are a chair and you are replaceable. And and to your point, like we can't have all of that tied into uh, all of the the attachment to who we work for tied into our self-worth. So that coupled with my empath tendencies um, helped me connect with people. Um, I certainly have been known to cry in a meeting um, or with someone that just lost a family member in my office. Um, mm-hmm. And that in the beginning certainly was not was not appreciated nor accepted. Um, I, I can't control it necessarily all the time. So you get what you get. Um, and that I think as a woman, especially early on, I felt like that um, hindered me because I was empathetic and could be emotional and still turn around and ask why we're doing the things we're doing and how does it align to the strategy. So that was um, something I had to grow into and feel comfortable with. The other piece of it around personal decisions, um, I have been all at one company, uh, an individual contributor, a manager, a part-time employee, a senior director, um, and a job share worker. What is unfortunate about that, and they were not in any order, it definitely was not an up and to the right kind of order. Um, you always, as a woman, I think we we want that flexibility, but we also would like to be compensated for the experience that we bring to the table. And at the time, um, company the company that I was working for at the time was, I felt, kind of just looking for a deal, a bargain. Mm. And regardless of my role or uh, scope of responsibility, you were getting the same experience as you did when I was a senior director. And so that I, I, some of that's changing certainly in the market, but I regret not fighting for compensation that mm-hmm. was equal to the experience I brought to the table. Um, and, and I do feel like that's changing a little bit. So that's, that's good news. Um, but those are kind of maybe the two areas that 
I think were impactful or helped me be a better leader, both getting comfortable in my own skin around, mm-hmm. you know, I am just a feeling human being. And that's part of what I bring to the table, whether you see it in a business setting as positive or negative really isn't about me. Yeah. You know, what you were talking about there in terms of just, just that honest, raw emotions, you know, and showing that and being transparent. And my experience has been, you know, certainly in terms of teams looking to their leader and they taking their cue from their leader is that there's a real appreciation when you can be that um, honest and open. And, uh, and I always viewed it as, Hey, I got to show I've got, I'm there's vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lay it on the table and show you how I feel. Mm-hmm. And then I've always felt like there by doing that, you earn a trust. You're in a trust with the team because you've shown that you are willing to do that and not to try to have this facade, uh, you know, of uh, unvulnerability, but actually show that you have those true raw emotions. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes the emotion comes out as really um, intense fierceness. Uh, my certainly my children and folks that have worked with me in the past, um, if if someone on my team, whether it's my family team or my work team is wronged, you need to be careful and watch out because I'm going to be protective and stand up for those that are on my team. And so, you know, it's, it's both ends of that spectrum. And it is that I think ultimately it serves me well. And I had to be comfortable in letting it flow and not try to contain myself in the office and drive home, you know, emotionally distraught because of Mm -hmm. something that happened Mm -hmm. in the office or something, a personal situation that somebody on our team was going through. And so it took me a long time to be able to integrate that. It felt like two different people, certainly early in my career. And now I think I've kind of stepped into over, you know, certainly longer than the last few years, but stepped into what that looks like and how that it's just a part of who I am. And, and that's part of what you get. (laughs) There's, there's no, I can't hide it it anymore, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, and it's great self-awareness, right? As a leader to just kind of know that and and find that inner truth. And, you know, you've been a marketer uh, for a long time. You, you've seen things evolve from your perspective, Krista, because you're really focused on crafting the branding and the messaging to resonate with audience and drive human behavior. Do you feel like the approach and the skills that are required in developing more compelling branding, messaging, and positioning? Have you seen that change? How has that evolved over the last, say, 20 years? I think we've gotten um, both more in-depth and more simple or simpler. Um, We now look beyond just title in our audience. When we start to look at the personas, we are looking at things like mindset, which was not something we have done before. So that, or certainly earlier in my career. So that actually is promising and certainly suits me from, you know, the way I like to look at an audience. We, you know, when we used to profile who our buyers were, it was about their title, who they reported to, their job description. And now we really are, even in high tech, um, they're not just people signing a PO, they are people. And how do we communicate with them? The lines between consumer and B2B are getting thinner and thinner because people get their information across all channels. 
Um, so I think it's more simple because we look at things uh, across both segments more um, continuously or the same, let's just say the same. Um, and we can go deeper as a person and not just a title. You know, you're right. And you, you think about the different channels to reach and connect with audiences. Like Krista, if we would have had a conversation even five years ago, right? I don't think we'd even be talking about TikTok as a video platform, right? <laughs> right to, reach, no. to reach a business decision maker, but we're having those conversations today, aren't we? We are. We are having lots of conversations around TikTok, certainly um, Instagram and Facebook, which we felt like um, at their inception were really about sharing photos of our family and our dog. Uh, now really is a way to connect with, and it's exactly a proof positive of my point. We're, we're targeting our audiences, whether they're B2B or not as people. And I love that. That certainly um, is an evolution that we've seen both in brand and marketing as a whole, because it's, it is part of the conversation with demand gen as well. One of the other pieces of the conversation, and we had worked with a client that does reviews, basically serves up reviews for their, for other products, for tech products. And really that I believe is a parallel in B2B to Amazon. We want to see what other people have experienced in their purchase as immediately, as in-depth, as simply, as accessibly as we can. Um, so we're serving it up to business B2B audiences the same way Amazon serves it up to us. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, it, it is a new world that we're in. And... I know that you've been this huge champion of mentoring. We talked about uh, earlier on the importance, just in framing up the conversation today, the importance of investing in mentoring. What really started and really drove your initial inspiration, right? To really recognize the importance of mentoring and really apply yourself to deliver that. That's a great question, Dan. Um, you know, I have three kids. They're in their 20s. That certainly was a big part of it. One is interested in communication. So that's exciting. Um, that's a piece of it. We also, and I don't know, maybe it started with just, you know, trying to find ways to get things done in a small startup kind of agency or, or collective that we've started in ways that were fresh um, new ideas and at a at a price point that we could certainly afford. What that led to, and I'll, I'll use an example, is, you know, a friend of one of my kids as a junior in high school had some design background. And um, she, we brought her on and she did, uh, she actually did our logo, partnered with a, a, a designer that we had worked with in the past um, mm -hmm. and, you know, did our logo. And I joke often that her drive, um, what she does now she's in, she's at NYU now that she will rule the world. She's got this amazing perspective, this growth mindset. Um, and it's speaking to the data that you brought up earlier that she really is interested always in what can I learn? Um, so that kind of got us going down the path of, how do we incorporate this generation into our business model, first thing, um, which we have been able to do as project managers, 
Um, the interns at Positioning Collective run the schedules of all of our clients. They are client facing. They are even working with customers of our clients. So it's um, it's been quite fruitful, but I think it started out as just a way for us to bring fresh ideas and um, new, new views of things at a price point that we could afford. Now, having said that, um, there have been some interesting challenges with it, um, mostly because I, I couldn't understand, honestly, why folks that we were bringing in with communications degrees or marketing degrees or entrepreneurship degrees um, were struggling in some certain, in some very specific areas around how to write a plan. Um, they didn't have, didn't know how to ask a, a question really. And so I spend a lot of my days meeting one-on-one with right now we have three um, that are on the positioning collective payroll. And I have pulled out some materials from days uh, when I was at San Jose state around how to write a plan. What does it look like to do a situation analysis to dis, to you know articulate what your goals are? What are your strategies to get to your goals? How do you map a timeline of tactics and levers to pull that will get you there? How do you measure? You know how do you do metrics? And they are at all different experience levels. Some had already graduated. Some were early in college career. Some you know ending their high school career had never really had a conversation with anyone about how to build a plan and. With all the conversations I have in my network, outside of marketing even, knowing how to write a plan spans all industries, isn't just about marketing. You use those same skill sets to problem solve in any industry. And so we spend a lot of time teaching our interns how to take what they've learned in school, the Mm -hmm. theory, and transitioning it into, you know, actually getting work done. I hope I answered your question, Dan. Yeah, no, (laughs) that's a great... (laughs) <laughs> Great example, because uh, if there's one constant in any successful organization, it's that uh, continuous planning loop, yes. right? And and so that's a skill set. That's a life career skill set. And if you're, you know, investing in helping them uh, tackle that early on, boy, it's going to save them a lot of pain and suffering, right? right? right going yes. through that process, right? So that's a great example. And we've been talking a lot about the mentoring of the Gen Z and the reality in a lot of our teams is that they're multi-generational. So you've got some Gen Z, you've got uh, Gen Y, Gen X, and maybe even some baby boomers, and it could be all happening at the same time, Krista. So in those kind of scenarios, what are some of the challenges that a, a leader is going to face when it's not just a, a single uh, segment, if you will, right, of the working population, but you've got these different generations that you're trying mm-hmm. to lead and develop? Well, I think... Um, there's a shift underfoot, honestly, both in corporate America and kind of maybe even just life in general. And I, we talk about Gen Z being age based. The way that we look at teams um, is the same way we look at brand is around mindset and um, skill sets and desires and aspirations and trying really hard not to just look at age, Mm -hmm. which sounds super, super simple. Um, But when you're in a corporate environment, um, what at least what had been happening, we were only focused on high potential employees. Certainly you've gone through this. What's the nine block? Who are high potentials? That's who we're going to invest in. 
the organization in, in those scenarios doesn't recognize what I call the workhorse in the organization. The person that wants to do great work, that wants to be valued, but really isn't looking for a promotion, doesn't think there would be right skill set to manage people. And how do we as an organization look at that mix of people and appreciate all of them? And I think the same is true when we start to talk about generational. The, the difference is just because you're coming out of college doesn't necessarily mean that you're different from those that have been in their career a little bit longer. They're, the mindset transcends the age uh, delineations is what I'm trying to say. What I see happening in corporate America, and we've actually been piloting some content um, around leadership at all levels with um, a local uh, facilitator um, who's brought this idea that leadership isn't a title, that you have a certain right. set of skills that you can bring to the table. And I think that applying that to our business certainly um, helps because not everyone on the team is going to lead, but, and pointing back to my earlier example, people that are, you know, that are prone to that or that have those skill sets, regardless of age, are going to lean in that direction. And so I'm very uh, hopeful as I see large organizations starting to implement these ideas and not just investing in high potential employees, but looking at all employees as being valuable and working with that in our business model as well in the smaller kind of collective agency atmosphere. So I, you know, it's a, it has been a challenge to kind of twist our brain and, and continue to learn about what that might look like um, having grown up in an era where, you know, it was all about nine block and high potential employees. So we are definitely looking at that challenge, both in working with our larger enterprise partners and in our own business model that, you know, what is it about age and how can we transcend that with ideas around leadership and skill sets that transcend all of that? Yeah, what a fresh perspective and uh, spot on. And I know I was reading something from a former colleague of ours and talking about this uh, phenomenon in even large organizations where there's tended to be this title inflation. So they were talking about recruiting mm -hmm. and candidates mm -hmm. that feel this pressure to say, I was head of or I mm -hmm. or inflate a title. And the point was really um, demonstrating your ability to have true impact is more about outcomes and and focus yep. focus on what you're able to do, not focus on some of the trappings, uh, which mm -hmm. is kind of the old school mentality, but we're kind of moving away from that. And I think the new generation probably appreciates that a whole lot more if they want to make a difference and they care more about the actions, don't you think, than, than the trappings of, okay, what title are you going oh, to give me? Absolutely. Um, we I spent some time last week with uh, a, a senior manager, uh, a senior person in the marketing organization um, at one of the the local kind of mid-sized companies, she was hiring and had a job rec that she posted on LinkedIn. And I set up time with her because I wanted to understand my brain. When I hear a certain title, I associate years in career with it. She had a different view of that. And so I wanted to understand where her, where that view came from. And we talked a lot about exactly what you're saying, that if you can put on your resume, I know how to deal with really difficult clients. I know how to bridge, um, 
you know, a span of opinions to gain consensus, even as a, mm-hmm. a early in yeah. career person, that that is far more valuable than the titles you've held. And that for me is, was kind of a new idea to your point and a new thing that I wanted to be able to work with our interns on how they present their themselves on the resume and that it, it can't just be about your title or the positions that you've held. It's about what you can do. And so we, you know, towards the end of the internships, I typically every week spend about an hour with each of the interns on how are you looking for a job? What are you looking for? How are you presenting yourself? How can I help? Um, and so we spend a lot of time on what does your LinkedIn look like? What does your resume look like? And focusing now certainly on what they can do and being uber clear about that. Mm-hmm. Really meaningful coaching and mentoring there. So now we've reached our crystal ball moment, Krista. Mm. So when you think about the future, what makes you optimistic? Well, I think, you know, it really is kind of the summation of what we've talked about. I think um, we're in this amazing place in the workspace where you can bring your whole self to work, where you can be emotional, where you can be empathetic, where you can still drive business outcomes with all of you present. That's, I think, maybe the first thing. I think it's such a great place to be. And I love to see it certainly in those coming out of college or any educational institution that they you know, feel like that's the norm. And I really like that. Um, that makes me hopeful for a a better world in general. I think too, this whole shift in being more appreciative of people, no matter where they are, we, we have been as a society, I think up until maybe even the pandemic held a lot of um, value in how high you have climbed in your, in your career, in, you know, the scope you've taken on in those kinds of things. And maybe, gosh, maybe Dan, maybe it's partially a Silicon Valley thing. I don't know, but I'm super hopeful and glad to see that that is shifting and that not only outside looking in that there's less judgment, there's less, um, I think, uh, judgment's the best word from an outside perspective on what a person has accomplished in their career, but also as the person, the choices I've made, I'm going to be able to be okay with and others around me are going to be okay with that. And those two things, I think just across the landscape, no matter what the industry is, is really going to allow us to appreciate a wider variety of people and skill sets. And that's a great thing. Yeah. As you were talking, the thing that came to mind, the word was gratitude mm-hmm. and being able to take the time out and expressing gratitude along the way. And my perspective is that that builds really healthier, enduring personal relationships and network. And you sometimes don't even realize how important that's going to be uh, until mm-hmm. down the right. road. And yes. there are going to be points where it's like, boy, I'm really glad I invested in, in being that very authentic and it's showing gratitude because there's a time I'm going to help others and then they'll be in a position mm-hmm. they'll have my back and help me. Yes, exactly. It's just a nicer way to live, I think, in general and, and to allow us all to bring what we can to the table, be appreciated for it. Somebody asked me the other day, what are your aspirations? And I said, I want to do valuable work and be valued, full stop. 
And, right. and that's it. I mean, there's nothing else. And it's really just that simple right now. That is so true. So as we start winding up the conversation, Krista, do you have any other final advice for senior leaders that are looking to build healthier organization and, and, and a long-term value, right, for their stakeholders? Sure. I, I think there has to be a sense, um, and it's something that we talk a lot about, about being unafraid to take a chance on somebody that maybe you wouldn't have in the past. Um, I think we are continuously surprised at what uh, skill sets show up in people that we least expected. So to be, as a leader, to be unafraid at taking chances on people and to look across whatever organization you're building um, and really think about the breadth of skill uh, and what they can bring to the table instead of just the titles they've held. I think those are maybe two things that I'm excited to see come to fruition. Definitely worth taking to heart. And I really want to thank you, Krista, again, for coming on, sharing your journey, setting such a strong example as a leader that's committed to mentoring and developing the next generation of leadership. Thank you for having me. It's so good to talk to you. And a reminder to our audience, please continue to give the gift of feedback. Uh, help us know what's working well, how we can continue to make this podcast better. You can go out, rate and review. You can do that on all the popular podcast platforms, including Apple Podcast, Amazon, Spotify. Easy to do. And a reminder, as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.